Let's pray together, please. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we ask your richest blessing on the proclamation of your word. Renew our minds, revive our hearts, enliven our wills to hear, believe, and obey your word. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning, and happy Thanksgiving to you all. I hope uh, everyone had lots of turkey. I did. We had two Thanksgivings, one in Ohio, one in Pennsylvania. We had our annual turkey bowl backyard brawl for football over in Ohio, and sponsored by Advil, by the way, and uh, had a wonderful time with family. And then made the, uh, the journey back. You know, those early pilgrims sure were hardy folk, weren't they? Imagine what they had to go through to have a, uh, a day of Thanksgiving. They didn't have a yearly Thanksgiving day. They had periodic days of Thanksgiving. They might have more than one in a given, uh, in a given year. As God led, as they saw his hidden hand of providence show itself in ways of, of provision for their community, they would, they would have a day of Thanksgiving. And uh, that first Thanksgiving, reportedly, Governor uh, William Bradford, one of our family's ancestors, had four men go fowling. Turkeys were hard to get, but there were lots of geese and lots of ducks there around the the waterways at that time of the year. End of September, probably, early October. They had never seen leaves quite like that in dreary old England where the sun doesn't make the leaves pop like they do in New England. And they gathered and... The hunters secured enough ducks and geese to last the entire settlement a week. What began as an English affair soon became an overwhelmingly native celebration as 90 Indians showed up and Chief Massasoit and all of his, 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 uh, his brave warriors bringing those, those five deer with them, the Wampanoag Indians. They had, a, uh, they had quite a feast, thanking their God. Now, they didn't have long tables like we do. They, they had uh, um, really nothing to sit on. It wasn't like what we imagine, really. They, it was more of a festival. One historian describes it like an early Woodstock. Those pilgrims were not as dour and sour as people think. They, they didn't wear black, they didn't wear hats, and they didn't use buckles. They had red clothes and orange clothes, and they were much more happy and festive than people give them credit for. They brewed beer. And they had quite a time there in that first Thanksgiving. Lots of stews and pottages and meat and things thrown in together. And that first Thanksgiving was a glorious, glorious opportunity to thank God for his great provisions in their lives. Well, as we begin our sermon this morning, we begin with a a memory of, of Thanksgiving. A memory that is to be stirred up in us if we are to continue continue to endure in our faith. The grass does weather, the flower does fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You know, loss of memory is man's curse, but the novelist's and the movie maker's friend. It's a convenient and much-used plot device when a screenwriter can't figure out how to inject conflict into a story, they use memory loss They zap the main protagonist's memory and the hero then can't remember who they are 
or worse, they can't retain new memories. Hitchcock used this in his famous 1945 film Spellbound. Robin, Robert uh, Ludlum, the famous Bourne trilogy. Finding Nemo, great little film for families. Little Dory loses her memory and it factors into the plot as it unfolds. Memory loss, however, is not just a plot device. It's, it's also a theological problem, the loss of memory. The people of God were often encouraged to remember the great acts of their great God in history. And this wonderful history of redemption that we've been swept up into, it's good to remember. Those early people of God remembered that God had delivered them out of bondage and brought them through the parted seas, and so they celebrated Passover. And still today, Jews will say on that night, why is this night different than any other night? And they remember that great act of redemptive history. They remember how Joshua led them to cross over the Jordan and to take possession of the land. Joshua 4 said to them, Joshua, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memory, a memorial forever. To remember the great acts of God in the history of redemption is to renew your resolve to be counted among the people of God. It is one way, perhaps even the best way, to be strengthened by grace so that you can endure the sufferings and hardship of this life. This is utterly necessary because the world is so full of suffering and hardship that if we do not continually recall to mind our great God and his great acts of rescue on behalf of his people, we will get swallowed up in the bad news. We might say that remembering renews endurance, or as my sermon title puts it, remember to endure, remember in order to endure. Remembering is a way or even a method in how to endure in our faith. The way we persevere in our faith and go the distance, go all the way, is to rehearse, recall, reflect, remember, dwell upon the great acts of a gracious God in redemption. There's no greater redemptive act than the Son of God coming into flesh to rescue us from our sin. What is sin? All wrongdoing, the Bible says, is sin. Sin is putting something, anything really, even a good thing, in God's rightful place and failing to let God be God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The pilgrim children were taught this old jingle, and in Adam's fall we sinned all. No one is righteous, the Bible says, no, not one. We have all earned the curse of death. So God is just in his holy wrath against us. We've sinned and left things undone that we should have done. 
We've done things that have offended his holiness. In addition to all the other bad news that we see on CNN or Fox News, we get the really, really bad news. The really, really bad news is that we are apart from God and that his judgment is still on us. And so apart from God's rescue, God's redemption, God's gracious act on our behalf, our lives are in peril. But to remember God's good news with the eyes of faith is to know something so hugely important that so many forget. The sun shines behind the clouds today. Do you believe that? You can't see it, but it's happening right now. As we drove home uh, the other day from Ohio, we came across the causeway, and it was a dreary day, and the clouds were low and, and dark and thick. There was one great shaft of light that came down on the waters. It was like a stairway to heaven, this this beautiful elevator shaft of of glory shining down through the clouds. It reminded me that that God in his mercy and his grace is there even when we don't feel him, see him, or experience his presence. God is at work, and his redeeming grace is is at work in the world. To endure, we have to remember God's great acts on our behalf in order to endure the suffering of this world which is so full of bad news, we have to continually remember the good news. In our text today, the Apostle Paul says to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. There it is, plain as day, that sunshine breaking through the whole of our faith in ten words. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Notice he's vindicated. He's the victor over sin. He's the victor over our enemy, death. Do you remember Jesus Christ? Do you have an early memory of Jesus Christ? I do. I remember going to vacation Bible school at the Reformed Presbyterian Church up the road. It wasn't our family's church, but they had a... a, uh, summer vacation Bible school that my mom used to drop me off at and then go about her business. And I remember as a little tot hearing about Jesus. I think that is my earliest memory of Jesus. Do you have an early memory of Jesus? Are you remembering him day by day? There's something about King Jesus, is there not? Don't you find him fascinating, endlessly fascinating? I talk to him often. Do you? Do you remember Jesus each new day? I think many of you do. You have this deep memory of Jesus. What's your earliest memory? Maybe you were an altar boy or you went to to Young Life and that was the first time you heard the name of Jesus in a memorable way. Will you share your early memory of Jesus with someone today? I want to encourage our families over lunch today to to talk about their earliest memories of Jesus. It's it's very simple, easy to do. Just go around the table and each person say, my first memory of Jesus is, and share. Dads and moms, you can lead that kind of discussion very simply, very easily. I think you can do it. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead will daily empower you to serve him. So we are to remember the good news about the risen Jesus. 
That's how we endure in our faith. This whole study that we've been doing through 2 Timothy, which concludes momentarily today as we enter into Advent season during the month of December, will pick back up in 2 Timothy in January. But this whole book is a, is a strong exhortation and an encouragement for us to persevere in our faith, to go the distance all the way. Paul has admonished Timothy to fan into flame the gift of faith that was given to him through the laying on of his hands, and he's encouraged to persevere through suffering, through hardship, through opposition to the gospel. And in order to do that, we must remember daily the gospel, the good news about a risen Savior, a risen King, King Jesus. And secondly, we need to remember the good news about Messiah's Davidic line. He says he's descended from David. He's the long-awaited king foretold from of old. But two of his friends forgot about that. You've heard the story from Luke chapter 24, where on Easter day, two disciples were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all things that they had uh, seen and all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleo, answered him, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And some of our women, they've amazed us They went to the tomb early this morning and they did not find the body and they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels. They said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus, risen from the dead, descended from the royal line, great King David's greater son, said to them, O foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And so, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus helped his friends remember that Messiah would suffer, that Messiah would atone, that Messiah would die, and that Messiah would rise. Friends, to endure in faith, we need to remember the good news about Christ risen from the dead. Secondly, that he is in the Davidic line, fulfilling all that the scriptures have prophesied and foretold. And third and finally, we need to remember God's good news, his plan of salvation in King Jesus. This plan is, is viral, meaning it It's going everywhere. It's not bound. It's not tied. He says in verse 9, this is my gospel. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. 
And for this gospel, I am being chained. I'm suffering, even to the point of of waiting for my head to be separated from my body. There he was in a dungeon, literally chained. It wasn't a nice house arrest. Suffering. He then goes on to say, but God's word is not chained. Even though I am, God's word is untied. God's word is unbound. God's word has gone viral. God's word is bigger than me, the apostle says. Surely he was reflecting on Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, which say, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return, do not return there. But instead they water the earth, making it bring forth fruit and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, says the Lord. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it and shall succeed in the thing for which I ordain. The good news of the Bible is more powerful than any one person's proclamation of it, especially mine. Those who seek to tie up God's word in chains may as well try to bind a sunbeam, as the great John Chrysostom said in the 4th century. To bind a sunbeam. God's word is, is, is powerful and unbound and viral and is percolating out over all the world. Do you believe that this morning? I believe it has. See, I believe that some in our country have failed to remember Jesus Christ. I think that we as a, as a nation, in fact, are, are no longer in touch with that, that memory that we have that goes all the way back to that first Thanksgiving. And my exhortation this morning is the same as the Apostles Paul. We are called to remember him. And unfortunately, I think our faith has been kicked to the curb. To some degree, we've taken these great treasures that have been passed down to us from God and from those who have gone before us We don't want them anymore. We've kicked them to the curb. Other nations, other peoples are eagerly taking them. It reminds me of the time when I was a a sophomore in uh, in college and was fitting out my first apartment at the fraternity house. I went shopping with my mom. We went down the street and we saw a little garage sale there. And she said, let's pull over here. You never know what you'll find. We found this most amazing antique. And the lady wanted $10 for it. I thought it was junk. My mom said, it's an antique. Get it. $10. Get it. I bought it eagerly. We've had it ever since, over 30 years now. I think sometimes our, our faith, our memory of our faith gets, gets so dull that we're, we're willing to just let it go to the curb. Just let it pass on to someone else. And God's Spirit this morning is wanting to revive our hearts, revive our minds with a deep memory of Jesus Christ. The power of God's Word cannot be contained in a person, in a sermon. It cannot be imprisoned in walls. Paul was tied up, but God's good news through the first century social networks was percolating out, and it is today. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything. I can endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they too may obtain that salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Recall when he was in his first imprisonment and and, uh, he was tied, so to speak, to a, a Roman centurion and the whole guard heard the gospel. God's word, even when Paul was in prison, was percolating out. And so he says in verse 11, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we're faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He's quoting some early poem, perhaps a hymn, but more likely a poem. The first stanza, if we died with him, speaks of our conversion and our baptism. It's virtually identical with Romans chapter 6, verse 5, verse 8, where he says, for if we've been united with him in death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Christ. In the second stanza, he says, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. It means to persevere, to hold your ground when there's opposition to the good news. And if you do, you will also reign with him. Hard work, the delayed reward That soldier that we learned about last week, that that athlete who's training for the Olympics, training according to the rules so that they're not disqualified, that farmer who's toiled in that hard soil, patiently sowing God's word, eager to eat the first fruits of it, but waiting patiently so the conditions are right when there will be that harvest. It means to persevere, to hold your ground when there's opposition to God's good news. This is a cross-shaped way of life. It comes from understanding that suffering, just as happened in the Savior's life, always comes before victory. The cross comes before the crown. In Luke 19, Jesus said, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and very little, so now you'll be given authority over more. If we endure, we will also Reign with him. The third stanza says, if we disown him, he will disown us. What a terrible warning, really. I can't think of any more horrifying words in all of the scripture than being disowned by my God. I can't even imagine that I would get to that place where I would disown him in such a way that he would be forced, required because of his very character, to disown me. Matthew 10 says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, this is Jesus speaking, listen, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now friend, that's a permanent disowning. There's no getting that one back. That is the splaying open, the opening up of a heart that is in full-on rebellion against God. That disowning that, that we see in the life of Judas, where he utterly rejected Christ. What a terrible condition for anyone to leave here today with that, that kind of heart. Maybe covered up on the outside, looking nice and neat and proper, because it is, after all, Thanksgiving Sunday, but, but on the inside. If you have disowned Christ, 
Let me warn you this morning, you are in great peril. I plead with you to turn, to repent, to run back to Him. He says, fourth and finally, if we are faithless, I take that to mean all of us, all of us are faithless to one degree or another. None of us have fulfilled the law perfectly. That's why we needed a Savior. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. And here we hear the gospel afresh. Our God is, is faithful even when we are faithless. And this promise is rooted deeply in His character, in the very nature of God. He cannot deny his own character. He cannot work against himself. He's a gracious God, and this promise of his covenant keeping cannot be broken. James 1 verse 7 says that God does not change like shifting shadows. His faithfulness is not ephemeral. He's not willy-nilly. He's not one day for us and the next day against us. No, he is continually for his people who are in Christ. But for those who have disowned him, who in their hearts have not submitted to his kingship and his lordship, he sets his face against you. God doesn't change. Even when we tear up our covenant with him. Oh, how many times have I come to the prayer rail or come to the communion rail and, and offered up afresh my heart to God. And I've been reminded that even though I, in effect, have torn up my, my covenant, my contract with God, my commitment to Him that very week, I recognize fully His covenant faithfulness to me. He never rips up His covenant. He guards His covenant he keeps his promise. He watches over it. Even when we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot, he will not disown himself. The great legal scholar Samuel Rutherford was imprisoned for his faith. He was struggling with the encroachment of the state church and all of the... the battle that was going on, really, in the post-Reformation period in the 16th century. There he was in prison, much like Paul, wondering if his faith would endure. And he encountered this verse, and he was remembering afresh this glorious good news, this great and gracious God. And there he was, expecting to be executed, and in fact, he was executed for his faith, for his reformed faith, and he was reminded of his, his Savior. He thought back early to his childhood. He remembered Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, bodily, ruling and reigning, ascended, ruling and reigning, coming again someday soon. And he was strengthened to go the distance all the way to face execution for his faith. He was reminded that even though he wavered and had ripped up that covenant in his heart, that God remained faithful to him, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful and grateful 
that you've given us, each one here, a memory of Jesus Christ. This memory, Lord, may it be stirred up. May it not just be a coal that is just barely glowing. Oh, God, no. May it it spark a fire in our hearts, a fire of faith. Father, will you breathe on your word to us today? Breathe on our minds in such a way that, that we truly remember Jesus Christ. That we walk through each day with his memorial and his memory with us, talking to him, knowing that he is indeed raised bodily and he's with us by his spirit. Speak to us, Father, through your word day by day. Strengthen the faith of your people, Lord, that we might endure through the hardships, the sufferings, the oppositions that we face. Help us, God, to never forget Jesus Christ. Amen.